Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, folks. It's good e- morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever in the heck in the world you are. It's V the Gorilla Condoms coming to you live, and we have a special guest this morning. Well, you guys already know him. It's London Paul from the Serious Report.com. Sorry, that's me. Oh. <laughs> You're getting some feedback. That's my yeah, fault. I, was like, I got thrown off. I was like, what did I do? Did I press something? What's happening? <laughs> no, Look, that's, it was my fault. <laughs> no worries, Paul. No worries. Folks, if you haven't done so already, uh, go check out the seriousreport.com, the seriousreport.com, and for less than the price of a cup of Starbucks coffee, you can get yourself an, an amazing day-to-day intelligence briefing with our main guy, London Paul himself, who will break down the entire news, the views, and everything that's important to you. So check it out, theseriesreport.com. With that being said, London Paul, how are you, sir? How's it going? Yeah, good morning, V, and good morning... Uh, afternoon, evening to anyone, wherever they may be listening into the world. Yeah, I'm fine. And yourself? I'm hanging in there, Paul. You know, it's it's Monday. It's uh, the the day of the week where we're all trying to get our bearings. We're all recovering from the from the weekend. It's it's the summer, and uh, you know, it, we're not in the rarest of forms, Paul. During the summer days, <laughs> it's just not in the rarest of forms, you know. So I'm hanging in there. How about you? <laughs> Yeah, well, summer's still continuing for now, so we're, it's, we've had it for months, which is, uh, mind you, compared to some places, it's incredible the way the sort of climatic changes we've had, but we'll, uh, we'll park that discussion because we don't get into that sort of thing, although it is highly interesting, and these kind of earth changes in terms of extremes of everything. Everything's so. weird. I mean, we, we skipped, uh, we, we had a, uh, an incredible winter. We skipped spring on right to summer. And now I think we're like starting to go into the fall. It's 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 crazy. Everything's weird, Paul. Like you know, everything's weird. Like like uh, even I mean, I had I heard one guy who was like a hunter talking about you know even the uh, the, the the mating seasons for deer is off. Um, everything's off. You know, it's just I don't know what's going on. Just and Paul and anybody who's lived in New York knows this. For the last two weeks, we've had nothing but crazy rainstorms every single day, three to five times a day. It was like I was living in Seattle. I was facing seasonal depression because I don't know when was the last time I saw the sun, and I was thinking about committing suicide. That's how bad it was. I'm not that I would commit suicide. I'm just saying, just, just joking around. <laughs> no, no, of course. <laughs> but it, it it it's just strange. But anyway, that's 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 yeah. You're right. It's a whole other topic for another day. But Paul, I was right. Say again. You seem to be break at my end. I don't know whether it's just my end where it sounds a little bit sort of in and out, but uh, I don't know. No Unfortunately, we don't have uh, El Cuco, aka CJ here, the master of the flux capacitor, to uh, let us know if these airwaves are coming out crispy and clean. Paul, I have oh, no it's fine board. now. Uh, yeah, oh, I think okay. CJ has obviously <laughs> fixed it because it's fine. Now. Oh, CJ it's just jumped on now. Hi, CJ. Yeah, yeah. Morning. Good morning, buddy. How are you? 
Good morning, CJ. Good morning. I'm doing. I'm doing great. Hope you guys both had a great weekend. Yes, yes, yes. We're just talking. Yeah, about you. yeah. We did. Thank you. Excellent. <laughs> anyway, Paul, we had a um, a great world leader. His life was almost taken from us, Paul. You know, he, and, and 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 I was thinking to myself, if his life was taken from us, Paul, what? Who else could I commentate on? Like, you know, this is one less person. I was. I was mortally just just hanging on with bated breath, but I'm glad to see that he's okay, Paul. Well, yeah, but you know what? There's there's a bit of an. Well, it all comes back to the fact that for me, the Trump administration's foreign policy is has been hijacked by the neocons, and it is increasingly, from my perspective, getting more and more concerning because we'll we'll come to what happened in Venezuela, but. We never got around to sort of discussing this, but in recent weeks, there was a huge amount of protests in Nicaragua, and it turned out in the end that this violent coup in Nicaragua failed. And the coup sort of exposed the alliances who, perhaps unsurprisingly, are working with the US in their own government that's controlled by the US and serves the interests of, of what you might call the deep state in Nicaragua. I know it's all relative. Um, I mean, and the people of Nicaragua, they had this, um, I think it was the 39th anniversary of the Sandinista revolution, and they had a big celebration, and all the people came out, and there was all these protests in support of Ortega. Now, I'm not going to get into whether Ortega is a great leader or not, but that's not the point. And But Ortega made the point that Nicaragua has got to defend itself and retain unity against these violent opposition protests. And he described this violent coup, which had been used to destabilize the country. <clears throat> he actually also criticized the Catholic Church for their role in this failed coup. And and other you know, Latin American leaders spoke out about it. I think the Bolivian president talked about US interference and, um, and he also accused the United States Agency for International development which is the USAID and the National Endowment for Democracy I know they have all these words like democracy in them and they're all euphemisms they seem to be involved they're all yes exactly that <laughs> he accused them of supporting violence in Nicaragua and I'm surprised he's quite telling this uh, I'm surprised he didn't name uh, the school of the Americas sorry say again I'm surprised he didn't call uh, this a, a a school of America's operation version 2.0 because that's exactly what this is. I mean, if you're a Latin American or South American leader, you know anything about the history of Latin and South America. Every single coup that has occurred there in the last oh, I'd say 50 years has been done by the U.S. deep state, has been done by the CIA, uh, and this is another operation uh, again, Paul, without a doubt. Well, yeah, and. Yeah, and what was interesting at this celebration, they had foreign ministers from Cuba and Venezuela who supported Nicaragua over this coup. And um, and apparently on the anniversary of this revolution, the U.S. Um, Senate which approved, and it had already passed by the U.S. House of Representatives, so-called the NICA Act, NICA Act, I guess, um, and basically, that's designed to escalate economic warfare against Nicaragua. And it basically, the Senate bill called the Nicaraguan Human Rights, an anti-corruption act of 2018 to impose sanctions, call for early 
elections and escalate U.S. intelligence involvement in Nicaragua. And, and USA also had, gave one and a half million funding for Nicaraguan opposition groups. Uh, and this will fund, obviously, NGOs that participate in protests. I mean, it's just the same old MO time and time and time again. And there comes a point when you have to say the world's sick and tired of it. I think everybody's sick and Okay, in this case, the the um, the coup failed. And it was the usual, there was a huge amount of misinformation in the Western uh, media. And they, there was this false narrative of a regime change and uh, mentioned. And, and what's telling is the Ortega government doesn't have any sort of sort of cabal families in it. And that's pretty unprecedented in Nicaraguan history. And there's been an attempt to do all the right things for the people, lift them out of poverty and access to healthcare and education. But in the process, squeezing out these uh, sort of oligarchs and cabalists that exist in Nicaragua, and obviously someone had decided they'd had enough of this. But so, I mean, of course, the other problem is, is that the IMF were crawling all over Nicaragua um, and Ortega said, well, I've got a different policy as the, to ensure fiscal stability. And of course, what's the IMF proposal? They want to cut social security and raise the retirement age. I mean, it's classic IMF footprint all over this. And of course he said, no, we're not going to do that. And these reforms were this trigger for this business lobby who then called for protests. And of course the rest sort of history. And there was the classic student protests going on. And some of the students actually apparently were brought to the US by some other NGO which has ties to the CIA and they met actually with members of the US Congress. I mean, it just goes on and on. And of course, then we move on to obviously what happened in Venezuela. Now, of course, for anyone who's not aware on Saturday night, given this speech at some military event in Caracas, it was actually televised and it was cut short because there was an explosion heard and of course, they're saying and there was a, a potential drone attack. But other people said, oh, it was just a staged and managed affair. And in fact, it was just Maduro trying to, uh, you know, gain support amongst the people. I, don't, I think there was actually an attack. It's interesting, of course, he who by by inference, it's they're blaming the U.S. Now, strangely, hours after the attack, John Bolton just came out and denied any U.S. involvement, saying I can say unequivocally. There's no U.S. government involvement in any of this. Well, why even come out and say it? I mean, but I think the the belief is that the U.S. are in some way mixed up in this, and we know full well, you know, for setting aside Maduro's useless economic policy, and we can't ignore that. But certainly, there's been attempts to have regime change in Venezuela for quite a long time, and U.S. sanctions prove that. I mean, that's what they always do. If they if they can't get rid of a leader, they'll sanction a country in the hope that eventually, the you know the the government will fall and they can put in their own puppet um, um, dictator or whatever it might be in the process. And uh, of course, the thing is they've they've managed to capture this drone apparently. So there's every likelihood they'll have some sort of footprint on it, which will give them an indication of where it came from and who who owns it. Um, and they might be able to tie some sort of financial trail to the to to the obviously in terms of who may have uh, actually been responsible for this attack. But I think I'll, 
part of the world certainly believe it's the US. We can't say definitively, but you know, how many more nations around the world is the US going to try and impose its own brand of democracy and and continue to feel it can get away with it? And of course, increasingly it's failing and and in the process it's damaging the US's credibility around the world. And it's you know, unfortunately it's something that seems to be escalating in the last six to 12 months of the Trump administration, and particularly maybe in the last six months, which all ties within, well, Bolton's not been around that long. It's only, what, five months, but let's not split hers, about a month or two. And my big concern is it's just more and more neocon-type foreign policy behavior. And it's just deeply damaging to the US, who needs to be doing precisely the opposite this time. And I don't believe for one minute, it's it's, again, it's just Trump administration hijacked by people with the, the usual ammo to go out and do whatever they want to do in any part of the world. And in the process, there's going to be enormous backlash and, and increasingly nations are beginning to stand up and say, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. And in fact, it's galvanizing nations in the process, which is a, which is a good thing. But in terms of Maduro, I mean, what's it going to do? Whatever we may think about it, it will galvanize support around him. It's going to make the opposition le- less effective. And in the process, it's only going to strengthen Maduro's grip on, and undoubtedly he'll do precisely what um, Erdogan did, uh, another failed US coup, of course. He'll just instigate more and more power and put more and more restrictions in place to to shore up the risk of being removed from office. And at some point, that is equally not good for the, for the people of Venezuela in terms of trying to have a democracy and and you know maybe there needs to be a time where in a proper democratic election maduro is no longer the president but all that's going to do is reinforce the internal problems he's causing but a lot of it is due to the fact of clearly more regime change um, policy from washington and this you can't blame on the obama administration yeah things certainly went on then but it's been it's carried on during the trump administration and nothing's been done to stop it Absolutely. You know, um, there's a lot of things going on under the layers of all the shenanigans, the deep state, the broken foreign policy, uh, the 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 infightings at home. How are the uh, the Russians and the Chinese uh, taking this? And also, what are the latest developments uh, in the European Union as they're right now, Paul, just being held together by duct tape? Well, I mean, we, I hate to labor the point about China and the U.S., but I mean, I mean, it, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, it's just beyond ridiculous. Um, I mean, we, we've had the situation where China's obviously come out and said, look, we're going to impose another 60 billion of tariffs on U.S. products because, you know, and what does Cudlow comes out and goes, oh, well, I might think this 60 billion is a weak response to our 200 billion. I mean, he actually referred to the Chinese economy as being very weak, suggesting investors are walking out and the currency is failing, you know, and suggesting that China couldn't sustain a trade war. And I mean, he's referring to China like it's got an economy with all due respect, like South Korea or Mexico. I mean, and the issue of numbers is irrelevant. I mean, there was a comment that came out, and we'll talk about it in more detail from the Global Times, which is a bit like a sort of mouthpiece for the Beijing government. 
And it referred to saying that Washington has lost its mind on trade. But apparently there was earlier an earlier edition. Now, I've not seen it, but someone told me that actually obviously it was written in Chinese and referred to it as Trump has lost his mind on trade. Well, while China retains its rationality because the U.S. seems to be hell bent on trying to conclude these trade disputes quickly, thinking China's going to capitulate and China's going to just hang in there and go for a protracted long drawn out process um the other thing is i mean we'll talk a bit more about the u.s economy in a minute but china's economy really has bottomed out so it's you know 6.8 percent and it's gone through this dramatic sort of reorientation of its economy to become more consumer orientated rather than you know an export-based market and of course china's moving away from this growth on you know dependent on exports and in the future, of course, the U.S. economy will depend more on the Chinese market than the other way around. China fully is aware that, you know, no one's going to win in this. Um, but Kudlow would be better informing Trump, don't underestimate China's determination to uh, to see this through to the bitter end. And, uh, you know, and the, the kind of media reaction in China, normally they're very restrained, but it's getting more and more animated. I mean, they've... They've said the U.S. demands are unreasonable and they're aiming to crush China's economic sovereignty and trying to force China to be a U.S. economic vassal state, just like Japan. I mean, it's actually saying this. And they say, you know, we don't fear sacrificing short term interests. Of course, they won't. But the U.S. is going to bear significant losses. And it actually said throughout history, the U.S. arrogantly initiated many wars that eventually ended up hurting itself. Washington's arrogance this time is up against a major power. And when others believed that the U.S. was just playing tricks with trade, the White House thought it could strike down the China. But the U.S. ability doesn't match its ambition. China has time to fight to the end, and time will prove that the U.S. eventually will make a fool of itself. I mean, these are incredible statements to come out of Beijing. But that shows just how fed up and and sick to death of what is going on and of course china was just going to hit the us with 25 percent tariffs on on lng which basically means they won't import any us lng so the us lng market's going to constrict rather than grow although they did offer you know if, if something sensible is put on the table maybe we could consider a deal but they're not going to do that now and what and then putting tariffs i mean the, the us should be happy that china supplied it with lots of cheap goods some may argue well, actually, some of the goods are pretty inferior. Well, that's a separate matter. But the U.S. slapping huge tariffs makes no sense because the whole basis of the U.S. economy is on printing money and low interest rate. And they've got huge national debt. China's got enormous savings. And once prices rise, the U.S. economy is going to get hammered even more. And China can control its economy far better, not least because it's got over at least 13 trillion in Forex reserves and probably even higher. So it's an absolute fool's errand for the U.S. to continue. And of course, what do we have? The idea of the U.S. economy, you know, with 4.1% GDP, which is a complete myth. Because what's the U.S. Treasury Department come out saying? Well, government borrowing in the second half of this year will rise to the highest level since 2008. They're expecting to issue about $350 billion in debt in, in the second half of 2018. That's the fourth largest total for that quarter on record. And of course, ironically, higher than the 270 billion estimated in April. 
And the forecast for the October to December quarter is 440 billion. So, you know, that, that, that means the estimated borrowing is about 770 billion during the second half of 2018. That's the highest since we went through the economic collapse in the financial crisis in the, you know, the back end of 2008. I mean, it's just absolute madness. I mean, you know, look, look at the deficit. It totals 607 billion through the first nine months of the fiscal year. That's compared with 523 billion from the same period a year earlier. And the Congressional Budget Office predicted that total government spending would exceed revenue by one trillion in 2020. Well, at this rate, it could be one trillion by the end of this year. Who knows? I'm not exaggerating here. Either and what's Mnuchin saying? Oh, the US economy is well on the path for four to five years of sustain and annual growth of 3%. Well, what are we actually seeing? Wage growth is slowing, construction slowing, jobs adding is slowing, auto sales are slowing, house prices are slowing, um, house sales are slowing, the deficit's gonna deficit will continue to grow this year and next. And GDP growth in Q2 was only attributable largely to debt finance consumer spending and tariff front loading. So what are, and what's causing the expansion? Massive deficit spending and all these stock buybacks. And then Trump comes out with comments. I mean, it, as I say, we'll defend Trump and support him, but he makes comments saying tariffs will make our country much richer than it is today. Only fools will disagree. Well, okay, I'm the biggest fool on the planet then, Donald, because, sorry, I profusely disagree with you. He says, we're using them to negotiate fair trade deals, and if countries are still unwilling to negotiate, they'll pay us vast sums of money in the form of tariffs. We win either way. And he says, because of tariffs, we're able to start paying down large amounts of the $21 trillion in debt that has accumulated, much by the Obama administration. Well, hang on. How much debt's accumulated during the Trump administration? It's astronomic. And he says, while at the same time, we can reduce tasks for our uh, sorry, taxes for the people. Well, these tax reductions are not going to be of any benefit. It's a short-term gain for more long-term pain. And... It just and what's happened, of course, the the latest analysis that came out shows that goods and services deficit has increased uh, nearly ten percent between May and June, from around forty three billion to forty six billion. And what also the trade deficit with China increased so so much for we're winning against China. Well, the, the trade deficit increased another billion between May and June. Um, so. And if you, you know, it's just farcical behavior and it's just never going to end. And at the end of the day, China is going to cause you the U.S. economic mayhem. And in all honesty, if this was any other period in history, we'd have had a world war by now. Those days are over. We're not going to have world wars anymore. But the U.S. is accelerating this event driven scenario and accelerating the end of the dollar and its demise. And in the process. Yeah, Trump has always known that, unfortunately, the dollar would pay the price of the world's reserve currency. But he needs Russia and China. We've said this all along. And, and all he's doing is seriously aggravating China. Well, when the process comes and we uh, the world does de-dollarize and the dollar dies, does he really think China is, and Russia are going to stand there and help them? The chances are they'll just let, they will do nothing to assist them precisely when they need that assistance. And 
all this kind of grandiose comments about China's economy is weak, but our economy is really strong. Look, look at the GDP figures. Well, let's look at the, the reality. They're, they're saying there's 155 million people or people employed in the US. Well, 95 million are economically inactive. 75 million are of under you know child age. And then there's at least 23% unemployment in the US. So the figures just don't stack up. And I'm sorry, this is just farcical behavior. And ultimately, the US will pay an, an, a price that's incalculable. And some of it could easily be avoided. But you can see the rhetoric coming out of Beijing. There's no, there's no great plan. There's no great 4D chess game going on between China and Russia. Sorry, between China and the US. I mean, in in any other language, this is this is World War Three, but it's being fought economically, and there's only one nation who'll end up winning, and that's China. And the U.S. will pay a ridiculous price in the process just to try and boost its own own position. And I think part of it's to do with the fact that Trump's just trying to convey that everything's working fine in the U.S. because the midterms are coming up. Well, the risk is if this event-driven scenario gathers pace, what happens if? some bigger financial event happens before the midterms. What's going to happen to Trump in the midterms? I mean, he's probably going to get massacred, even though people don't necessarily don't want to vote for the Democrat. He's going to lose a lot of his votes simply because people will go, hang on, you're telling us how strong the economy is. I mean, what are they going to do if some event happens? Are they going to sit there even if they know full well it's the Chinese? And they can't admit and say, well, China caused this because the people, People in the U.S. go, hang on, you told us China was weak and China, we were going to win the trade war. So you're telling us you started a trade war and failed and you lost the trade war and that's caused financial capitulation. They can't admit that. So in the process, they're going to have to admit, well, actually, the U.S. economy isn't strong. It's, it's it, and we've said it many times, but it's worth saying it again. This is just foolish behavior on a level that staggers me. And I care about it because, I, I you know, I... We know a lot of people in the U.S., and I don't want anything to happen to the U.S. as a nation in any way, shape, or form. But when you see something as crazy and foolish as this unfolding, you have to question, you know, what what exactly is the motivation for this? I mean, is there really that much of an ignorance and arrogance that the U.S. economy is something it isn't? Because Trump full well knew before he was bought, well, you know, he was elected, just how weak the U.S. economy is, but. That's all had to be forgotten now, and he keeps pushing the point about the strength of the U.S. economy. Well, if there is, there is only going to be one victor in a trade war with China, and it most certainly is not going to be the U.S., and the consequences will be. And my fear is that the U.S.'s best hope for the future is for Trump to stay in office beyond 2020 and, and into 2024, because the U.S. is going to need a long time for rebuilding. And if some event happens sooner rather than later, does that derail the process of, 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 you know, basically making the wrecking ball destroy the deep state in the U.S.? If it does, the U.S. is going to have even more problems to deal with. So it is. this is as serious as it gets. And yet, for me, it's been completely trivialized to the point that it's a, it's a non-event. Well, you know, it'll just fizzle out. It's not going to be a problem. Well, it, it absolutely is. And it's possibly, you know, we're looking at, one of the most serious point inflection points in U.S. history. And and at the moment, it's not looking pretty for the U.S. in any way, shape or form. How do you think this is going to pay, uh, play out, Paul? Because there's a lot of interesting things that you said. I think uh, 
I think the game is to destroy the dollar, the dollar as it exists in its current state of form. Uh, but then the, um, the, 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 you know, the, the scenario exists in the back end, like what you said. There's no 4D chess being played here between the U.S. and China. Um, so what are your, what's your takes, man, on, on the next couple of years going forward? Hello, I think I've lost you. Oh, Paul, did you hear me? Sorry, it was kind of breaking up a little bit. I don't know whether it's Jeez. is it just me? Who's, I, I, I heard sort of some network issues. Let me let me just do a. Um, well, how about this? Uh, why don't you talk about the the latest developments in uh, in China and uh, and uh, uh, the uh, in Africa and whatnot? And uh, let me do a quick network test here. Um, okay, I mean, I mean, obviously, in terms of developments in Africa, I mean. Clearly, the African continent is going to have to go through an enormous rebuilding process. I mean, I mean, Western Cabal, which incorporates many nations historically. I mean, it's not just the, the, the American influence or the British influence we've had. I mean, French have been there. The Dutch have been there. I mean, throughout history going back. And as a continent, it's been absolutely destroyed, as we know. And. And in the process, the African continent is now going through a sort of whole rebirth process, principally, obviously, with the Chinese and the Russians. And in the process, it's just not not just economically they're doing this. Obviously, they're doing it militarily as well in the process. And this is putting out of joint. I mean, Djibouti is a classic example of that, where they, they were furious the Chinese you know, took up uh, had a military base put there. But it's there for good for good intent and for good reason and again it's one of those situations where you know there's a lot of talk that the chinese are just going in and effectively they're just going to cripple these nations with debt they can't repay but that simply isn't the case that's just western propaganda yeah the beat there's been in cases where there's odd projects where they've been you know nations or organizations have defaulted and china's had to come in and, and some have argued they're just doing it intentionally but the, the, the debt repayments uh, from the Chinese are a fraction of what the IMF, the World Bank, et cetera, have been imposing on nations deliberately to cripple nations. I mean, how, you know, we talk about Nicaragua earlier as just one small example of that. But clearly there are you know, there's countless nations across Europe and the entire world have been crippled by the IMF and the World Bank in the process. But, of course, those days have gone from from China's perspective. And all we're seeing is is just you know Xi Jinping goes on a tour of African nations, and they're all they're all bending over backwards to want to sign trade deals, to want to have military cooperation, and this is what this all this trade war on China is not about a trade war. It's the fact that in essence the the U.S. administration, less people like Trump, but I think. The neocon influence knows that China is a serious threat to their existence. So they're doing everything and anything they can to try and wage some kind of economic war, thinking they can destroy China in the process. There's no doubt they, we've said it before and we'll briefly say it again, the intent was to go to Russia and try and break, you know, create a wedge and a division between Russia and China. Well, that's failed. That's not going to, so they can forget that because it was never going to happen. But so they'll do everything they can to to in any way, shape or form, drive a wedge between China and every other nation on the planet. But it's just failing. 
It's failing miserably across the world, and they can do nothing about it. And Africa is a continent that if the U.S. had used a bit of intelligence and realized, could have said, okay, well, there's, there's, there is a need huge growth sector here where they're going to need a lot of raw materials. They're going to need a lot of uh, financial assistance. They're going to need a lot of uh, assistance in rebuilding economies. And this is the one thing. What's the Trump administration? I've not seen it doing anything with any nation yet. It says it'll throw a few dollars here, there, and everywhere, but there's, there's no serious intent in anything that it's doing. It's still trying to, you know, I mean, we'll talk briefly about Iran again because obviously the first section of, of sanctions has come in into force tomorrow. But it's another example where the US is just, it just is doing the completely wrong things all over the world and increasingly. Every nation on the planet is turning its back on the US. I mean, Turkey is a great example of that. And we've talked about Turkey for a considerable period of time. Now Turkey's threatening to support sanctions on the US because they're reaching the point going, you can't do anything to us anymore. And in the process, all the US is doing is isolating itself with just about every nation on the planet, apart from the Saudis, the Israelis, and the UAE. And the rest of the world's going, we just don't want anything to do with you anymore until you stop imposing your brand of democracy on the rest of the world. Paul, it was just uh, latest news out, and I did a network test. I think uh, we're okay with our bandwidth. I don't know what the, uh, the uh, disturbances that we're experiencing. But uh, real quick... Latest news out, Paul, is that... Uh, Maybe it's something at my end. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, in Yemen, it seems that the U.S. allies are are cutting deals with al-Qaeda uh, with their war against the Houthis. Again, the whole Yemen disaster is, is playing out quite as an evidence show of uh, nothing's really changed in the foreign policy. Paul? Paul, you there? Hello. Paul, come in, Paul. Paul. Seems like we've lost Paul. And we don't have CJ either. Hey, Paul, are you there? I hear crinkling in the background. Paul, are you there? Come in, Paul. Paul. Well, let's see if we can reach him on WhatsApp. Paul, come in, Paul. This is strange. I don't know what's going on here. Paul, are you there? Yeah, I can hear you now. Oh, that's so strange, man. I was uh, asking you, can you hear can me? Can you hear me like okay? The... Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. So the disturbance must be on your end. I, I, it's very strange. Uh, I was just going to ask you about the whole Yemeni situation with... Uh, yeah, I don't know what's happened. Anyway, not to worry. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask you about the uh, the situation in Yemen. Uh, we have uh, al-Qaeda and the forces supported by al-Qaeda. Seems like the same... Um, yeah, uh, same I mean, well... Years. The whole Yemen thing... It, it, Paul, you there? Yeah, I can. You sort of breaking up. I don't. Shall I just go out and come back in? Yeah, try doing that. Try going out and come back in. Maybe I'll. Yeah, I'll just. 
Yeah, I'll just do it very quickly. Just bear with me a sec. Yeah, no problem. All right, folks, we're just going to wait on Paul to uh, go out and come back in quickly. We should take care of some of the weird network issues that we're experiencing all of a sudden, so it's very strange. Just uh, waiting on Paul. He'll be back in any second. Hi. All right, perfect. There, there you sound great, man. Yeah, I don't know what. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> anyway, not to worry. But yeah, the, the whole Yemen thing is. I mean. It's it's like there's multiple wars going on in amongst wars. I mean, you've obviously got the principal wars between the Yemeni government and the Houthis. And, of course, from the Western perspective, the Houthis, they're claiming, are just Iranian-backed. Um, and therefore, effectively, it's become this proxy war between, effectively, the U.S. and Iran via the Saudis and the Houthis. Now, the thing is... This whole military coalition, which the U.S. is sort of part of, but it's unclear exactly what part it's playing in. And obviously, it's led by the Saudis and the UAE. Now, they keep saying, you know, we, 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 we you know, we're achieving all these huge victories against the Al-Qaeda militants from, you know, and, you know, in the process, we're, you know, disabling their capability to attack the West. And then we hear that in Yemen, that this coalition's cutting all these secret deals with Al-Qaeda, paying some to leave key cities and towns, and they're letting others retreat with weapons, equipment, and, and looted money. Um, and hundreds more were, have been recruited to the coalition itself. I mean, it's like a sort of blueprint for Syria in a way. And, you know, there's key participants in these sort of secret deals have said the U.S. are aware of the arrangement. And also held off any drone strikes while the you know, Al Qaeda fighters left areas, and and so whilst the bigger picture is to win the civil war against the Houthis, you know, but the Al Qaeda militants are effectively on the same side as the Saudi-led coalition, and by extension, of course, the U.S. in whatever capacity they're fighting. So, and elements within the U.S. military are clearly aware of this, and. And in the process, that's, there's, there's a lot of anger in the U.S. military. So what the hell are we playing at? You know, we're here to defeat the Houthis, but it seems like we're supporting al-Qaeda in the Again. process. Right. I mean, and supporting the UAE in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is because the U.S. views this as Iranian expansionism. So that takes this priority over al-Qaeda and, and therefore, by implication, even stabilizing Yemen. And these coalition-backed militias are actively recruiting al-Qaeda militants who've defected. And uh, and there's ridiculous cases of Yemeni commanders who are on a U.S. terrorism list. They're getting receiving money from the UAE to run militias. And so others were granted millions for, you know, who were actually known as al-Qaeda figures <laughs> from, you know, from intelligence. And the U.S. apparently it's rumored has sent billions of dollars in weapons to the coalition to fight the Iranian-backed Houthis. So, I mean, questionably, where do half these arms end up? I mean, there's no doubt in Syria, U.S. arms have turned up everywhere in yeah. the hands of Daesh, never mind so-called, you know, the so-called rebels. And I mean, we had uh, an investigator there's also yeah. We've had an investigative reporter actually find the missile casings and traced it right back to Raytheon with the serial numbers and everything. 
Yeah, and, the, and the, of course, and this is the problem, you can't, I mean, when you sell arms to nations, I mean, I'm not suggesting that Washington's directly providing armaments to Daesh or Al-Qaeda or anyone else, but certainly in the fog of war, arms can end up going from one set of hands into another. But there's also, in terms of Yemen, there's, there's allegations that U.S. advisors are giving, you know, uh, intelligence to on-the-ground adversaries in Yemen. American jets, we know, have been providing air-to-air refueling. And yeah, the U.S. doesn't fund the coalition, and there's no evidence that, that American money goes directly to, to al-Qaeda militants. We have to be absolutely clear about that. And of course, the Pentagon denies that, that that's the case. But, you know, but the thing is, they keep saying to the world, well, you know, for the last year and a half, we've conducted well over 100 airstrikes. We're killing all these al-Qaeda operatives, and we're disrupting their capability to recruit, train, and plan operations against the U.S., and that is absolutely not the case. I mean, you know, and, you know, Al-Qaeda is actually growing and gaining strength in, in this whole, uh, com well, war, effectively. And, you know, of course, also the UAE troops and the Yemeni militias are capturing. They're saying, oh, we're capturing strategic, you know, areas held by Al-Qaeda for a number of years. And, you know, and, and in the process, we've destroyed them and, and reduced their capability to attack. And then you find out that weeks before this, this, these uh, battles actually happened, Al-Qaeda militants just drove out of these areas uncontested. Some struck deals where, you know, Al-Qaeda members be paid to leave. And the list goes on and on. And, you know, deals took place. And these deals have taken place during the Obama administration, yes, but also during the Trump administration. And it's happened on multiple occasions. And, you know, so whilst all these coalition-backed forces are slapping each other on the back, going, well, we've killed hundreds of militants and, you know, we're defeating terrorist organizations in Yemen, there's witnesses coming forward going, actually, that's not what is happening at all in Yemen. Because frequently coalition and um, forces and U.S. drones cease all bombings when al-Qaeda is pulling out of various locations. And there's been claims that, you know, that Al-Qaeda, you know, jihadists are in touch with officials at the U.S. Embassy and the Saudi-led coalition, letting them know, well, you know, this is what's happening in terms of our withdrawal. And once we finish withdrawing, we'll let you know. And, and, and this, these are these allegations being made. And, of course, Al-Qaeda militants are extremist sunnies, and they want to seek the defeat of the Shiite rebels, namely the Houthis. So... In one sense, you know, this coalition in Yemen is quite happy to allow this to continue because they're fighting the bigger enemy, which is the Houthis, which they believe is obviously backed by by the Iranians. And you know, there's idea that they're receiving weapons and aid from from the coalition as well, and and it's being given now to Al Qaeda militants so they can fight the war on their behalf as well. And by all accounts, Al-Qaeda have been threatening this coalition and they're giving them more and more concessions. And you know, again, this is this insane situation where, you know, it comes back to this obsession with Iran, that Iran's the this big bad boat in the Middle East and they're, they're oh, responsible man. for... Jared Kushner told us this is the truth and we have to believe him. Paul, you there? Sorry, say again. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, say again. A lot of interference between us. Now, I said uh, uh, J yeah. Jared Kushner told us that uh, that Iran is the biggest threat to, to, uh, of terrorism, the biggest supporter of terrorism on the planet. 
Jared Kushner and... Yeah, when um, did they last invade a nation? Three hundred uh, years ago? Oh, 250 years ago? I can't remember. You know. It's like 2,000 years ago, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, it's just, and it's absolutely farcical. I mean, and of course, we now have U.S. sanctions coming into force tomorrow with uh, against Iran, and right. <clears throat> and 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 the whole JCPOA thing comes into focus. But what's the EU said? I mean, they still haven't buckled, which has to some extent surprised me because they've said they're going to intend to step up trade and cooperation with Tehran, and that's why this EU blocking statute that comes into force on tomorrow. And that's designed to protect EU companies doing what's termed legitimate business with Iran. And it's supposed to protect the from what are, you know, the extraterritorial sanctions by, i.e. the US imposes sanctions on some European company because they're you know, trading or working with Iranian companies. And the statute forbids European businesses from complying with US sanctions. And therefore that, completely nullifies foreign court rulings against them and allowing them to recover damages from any penalties imposed. And and the remaining parties continue to be uh, strongly behind the JCPOA. I mean, the US continues to, to, to almost say, you know, we're not, we're, you know, we're again, we're not trying to impose regime change. We're just trying to cripple the Iranian economy. So they'll come begging to the table to, um, to, for, to form another JCPOA agreement. But in the process, the EU wants to continue the oil export of Iranian oil and gas. And um, what what's the US? I mean, you know, the sanctions are going to be on the purchase of Iran's sovereign debt at Iranian real. So the currency is going to get devalued even more. I mean, they come out, I've seen all these countless commentators going, Iran's economy is falling apart. The real's collapsing. Yeah, because you, because of what the US is doing to the country. They're also trying to apply, uh, you know, these sanctions to Iran's trade in gold, precious metals, and sales of aluminium, steel, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and uh, and also it like stand to the automotive industry and the purchase of U.S. dollars. So uh, it's clearly obvious they're just trying to cripple the Iranian economy. And again, the world's just fed up of it. And you know, I'm sorry, people may disagree. The JCPOA agreement was it may not have been perfect, but it did an awful lot to create stability in the Middle East. And that's why every nation, and you may think the EU is controlled by the cabal still, although increasingly that's not been the case, but you, you can't levy that at the Chinese and the Russians. And they're adamant the JCPOA remains in place and they'll do everything to backstop the Iranian government. So that, that should be a big question that everyone asks, hang on, why is this big idea that the JCPOA was was some kind of strange agreement that involved exchanging lots of brown envelopes with money. And every time Iran tries to reclaim money, people are going, oh, it, they're paying another backhander. No, Iran has billions of dollars in frozen assets in banks that the US won't allow them to have back. So that's why they're trying to get money back. It's not some strange backhand. I mean, how does that work? The Iranians strike a deal with the JCPOA and the Americans are paying them backhanders. For what? There's no benefit to the U.S. to have this. It's not backhanders. It's I mean, there may have been some strange backhanders going on, but that's irrelevant. The JCPOA needs to be kept in place. And the U.S. is doing everything to dismantle it. And the rest of the world's going, we're not going to tolerate this. We're not going to have this um, in place anymore. We, we're sick to death of 
And again, I hate to be, you know, lever leveraging all the world's woes on the shoulders of Washington, but you know, I just feel that the, the reason Trump wanted to get rid of the JCPOA because it was a an Obama administration policy, which actually, to to a varying degrees, was pretty successful. It's probably the, for me the only thing the Obama administration ever did that was of any value, and that's why they're doing it because it it was an Obama administration policy. Oh, we'll have to get rid of it because it's Obama, and that's really the motivation behind all this. And of course, in the process, it's just this whole demonization of Iran in the process. But the Iranians are not going to buckle because. What I think the world fails to realize is Iran is not some small little insignificant country. And militarily, it's extremely strong. And the IRGC has enormous, I think it's like 150 to 200,000 strong. And these are like f people who would fight, you know, tooth and nail to the last man. They would never give in. It's rather like the Russians, the same process. They're, they're not going to give in. They've had 40 years of dealing with with the US trying to overthrow various um, governments or regimes or whatever you want to call them, and they're not going to give in. And the European Union seems to be refusing to buckle. And and in the process, again, this is just very deeply damaging to Trump foreign policy. And I don't I don't think Trump's actual belief with regards to Iran mirrors what the neocon influence is having. And we spoke at the time what Bolton and Pompeo would do to US foreign policy, and I hate to say it, but everything we've said is coming to pass, and it's just very, very damaging to the US in the process. Absolutely. Paul, we have about uh, uh, about eight minutes remaining. Uh, what are your closing statements, and, uh, and what do you see is on the radar uh, coming into this week? Well, obviously, we have to, I suppose, the, the initial thing is, well, is there going to be any fallout from the Iranian sanctions and their implementation uh, from the U.S. perspective, particularly? That's, that's, that's one obvious thing that I think will we'll figure strongly. And now, of course, it's the ongoing trade war with the Chinese and what will unfold. But I do think, I, I think if we talk about, as we said, this event-driven scenario, which it most certainly is, but... The U.S. applying um, you know, tariffs on Chinese goods has caused this huge acceleration of an aspect of this event-driven scenario. And ultimately, it's going to be very, very damaging for the U.S. And without laboring the point, I can't stress enough that the Trump administration needs to, but it can't now because if it backs off and says, Archie, we're going to walk away from this. I mean, they keep accusing the Chinese of not refusing to discuss it and china's going hang on you're the ones who won't come to the negotiating table with us because the us will not back down because they feel if they do they're going to appear to be weak or perceived to be weak but the vast majority of the world now perceives the us to be weak us germany's dead it might exist in the minds of of people in washington but the rest of the world's going it's over and and increasing that's all we're going to see more and more evidence that you, uh, U.S. hegemony is dead and buried. And I don't think, um, unfortunately, I just don't think in any way, the way, shape, or form, the Trump administration is going to back down on this matter. And if they don't, it, I don't I don't see a great future for the U.S. because in the short term, because simply it doesn't have the economic clout to go and do anything in the world. It can't resolve its own problems. It just doesn't have any money. I mean, who's, who's going to... I mean, it's, it's a debt-ridden nation that has relied on exporting its debt. Well, 
if it doesn't export its debt anymore, then it's not going to have the world's reserve currency. If it doesn't, it will have a devalued dollar. And what's going to happen? It doesn't have the export base to to all the infrastructure to support that, which is what it needs. So it's going to be heavily reliant on imports, which if you look at the problem with tariffs as it is, I mean, what's going to happen? You're going to have cost inflation in the US will go through the roof. It's an inevitability, and that's going to even damage the US economy even more. And in the process, if the US has a devalued dollar without an export, it's going to have hyperinflation in the process. And uh, you know, I don't like to use terms like Venezuela, which is an extreme example, and people say that's impossible, but that's where the US is heading, and we've, we've said that before many times. And this is why this madness has to end, but I, I, just, I just think that they can't accept the fact the world's changing and they just still want to give the impression uh, that the US is this dominant unipolar nation and US hegemony rules. But I think that's partly to make sure the electorate vote for Trump in the midterms. And to be honest, it, I can see perfectly why you'd want that to happen. Because if Trump gets trounced in the midterms, and I don't think he will, but if if the if we have an economic event, I think then he will struggle. But I mean, if he gets through the midterms and, and keeps control of the Senate and the Congress, then you give him a lot of scope in the next two years to to uh, you know, instigate a lot of change. But people talk about wreck, you know, the wrecking ball and removing the deep state and all a sort of Mueller investigation and that whole kind of kabuki theater that's going on. Well, if Trump loses control of the House and Senate, is he really? Is, if he's struggling to deal with things now, it's not going to get any easier. It'll just get exponentially more difficult. I noticed lately when there was a comment where he told Sessions to get on with things and deal with matters. Well, Sessions isn't. Sessions continues to do not absolutely nothing. So if the question is, if Sessions continues to do nothing, why doesn't he just remove him and replace him by someone who, who will do something about it? And that's the question that I don't understand. Well, I think I understand because what Sessions the answer is. He's not really working on the background plans, Paul. You don't, you don't, you don't get that, do you, Paul? Huh? You don't, you don't trust the plan. What's wrong with you? You, you have lack of faith, Paul. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Without, I don't... Well, this, the interesting thing is, I mean, I'm, I don't want to get drawn. I mean, you know, look, I made it very clear with Q. People can believe what they like, and and that's. So you, you, I have you no have qualms. I, I was just joking about the whole sessions because I mean, literally no, no, but it's is, interesting. You know, Michael most, Flynn Junior. Yeah, but Michael Flynn Jr. has come out with a comment today, and I'm not doing this just to stoke, a, you know, throw a hand grenade into proceedings. But you know, people's belief in Q, I don't have any issue with it. I, I have no problems. People can believe what they like, and uh, and and that's perfectly fine. But he said, Michael Flynn Jr. came out and said, "Folks, let me be clear. I have zero association with the whole Q conspiracy. Whilst I've been mentioned alongside the Q and on hashtag before." I've never taken it seriously, and you shouldn't either. Mm. He actually came out with that in a quote in, on, a tw on a tweet today. Now, of course, there's going to be enormous backlash to this comment. But, but that's just part of the plan. But, uh, but Yeah, but that's the thing. Why has he come out with this comment? Why is he actually saying this? What, what's the implication? It's coded and, language for us to believe that he is, Paul. Don't you get it? I mean, that's... <laughs> Paul, this is this is well. This is ten D chess, Paul. I, I I don't understand how you don't understand that this is ten dimensional chess. <laughs> well, 
Maybe you it claim is, but I mean, by denying but, involvement. <laughs> but the, the problem is, I think there's there's an awful lot of hope being waged on the fact, and I do. I've said this many times: the cabal is, and the deep states on borrowed time. Of that, I, I have never had any doubts, and I've said this for the whole time we've been on Rogue Money, and I said it, and I've been on other shows in in years gone by and said exactly the same thing, and I I stand by that. I don't doubt it, but. But but I but I'm my concern is that the ability of the Trump administration to continue to do that it does hinge largely on his capability to to win the midterms and I think if he does fine then he's got it. But the other thing is the process is just this idea that somehow we're going to you know, one day wake up and all these massive changes are going to happen. That's where I have the disagreement. I don't disagree with what Q says per se. I don't disagree with the fact. That you know there are moves afoot, and there is all these unsealed indictments, etc. I don't doubt any of that. That's not what my problem is. My problem is, it's managing people's expectation that all these things are going to happen, and with no consideration for what U.S. foreign policy is doing to the U.S., what you know U.S. internal economic policy is doing to the nation in the process, and how critical the midterms are. To Trump's ability or to do enforce any major significant changes in that regard, all none of that's ever discussed. That's where I have a problem with it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I like to deal with reality, and then reality might people might not enjoy what I say, and they might fundamentally disagree. That's fine, but from my perspective, what we're saying bears up for, to scrutiny, and that is the big problem. Now, I don't know why. You know, people may say, "Oh, it's reverse psychology with Flynn to say this." Of course, people will say that. But from my perspective, you know, some people were saying the other day, well, why doesn't Trump come out and denounce things? Why doesn't Trump say something about Q? Well, Trump's never going to say anything about Q. And whether he knows it's reality or doesn't, that's not because he just cannot do that. That would be political suicide to do that, because that's precisely what detractors would hope he would do. And he won't do that. But is Flynn doing this for a reason? I mean, I don't know, but I mean, it's. It's going to cause mayhem in the process because because people on one side of the fence are going to go well. There's a clear indication that, that the whole Q thing is just is a conspiracy, as he refers. To. And then on the flip side, people can go, no, it's just part of the game, and it's to to throw people off in the process. But but you know, it's it's. I just think it's losing the focus. Yeah, it's waking people up, and that's a good thing. And a lot of people are becoming aware there's major internal problems in the US, and that's a great thing. But I think it's a distraction from the major problems the U.S. is facing that I don't see anyone. Well, not anyone, but a large number of people aren't discussing. And it's not, you know, if Q wants to do some good things, start talking about these important things and getting people's understanding and interest in those because they're fundamentally very important to the future of the U.S. And that, you know, that's where I have a concern as well, because it doesn't address these major problems. It just it's just focusing all about. You know, the Mueller investigation and Clinton. Oh, yeah, there are very important aspects, but it's not addressing some very, very serious fundamental problems in the U.S. And it and it also leans a little bit too much to focusing on the Democratic problem in in Congress and the Senate, and not the Republican problems in this Congress and the Senate and beyond that. Which we know it's not just a Democratic problem; it's a Republican. It's the deep state trans. Versus every political establishment that's ever existed in the U.S. and precisely it 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 doesn't really concern itself with with partisan politics. That's just a gigantic distraction to make people focus on that instead of the real problem in the U.S., which is 
a totally non-partisan uh, deep state government, rather like the UK, that that is always controlled nations for decades. And it's only since Trump was elected there's that changed, and hence why there's this desperation to get him out of office. And I mean, the Mueller investigation, as the Trump administration thinks, oh, it probably end in 2019. I, I mean, it depends if if Trump has a landslide in the midterms i think it'll fold pretty quickly if he doesn't the Mueller investigation will carry on through 2019 and 2020 and it'll be a used as a huge political hot potato in the 2020 presidential you can be absolutely certain they'll they'll find every excuse to drag it on and on and on because it's a way of of creating division in the u.s and that's precisely what they need because they don't want trump to have a united nation and get people behind him from whatever political walk of life. That's exactly what they're trying to prevent. But in some way, Trump's not helping himself in that regard either. But I'm not criticizing him for that because he's got an impossible job to do. But that's why I have concerns about all these things. And, and I think they're legitimate concerns. And I'm not just, you know, I'm not trashing anybody's view on anything. Or, but from my perspective, it's def- Q is deficient in how it handles things. It could do things a lot better. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to pass judgment and criticism and focus on things and how we think things could be done better or things that aren't working. And But that doesn't detract from the fact that I, Trump's not cabal. Trump is trying to take a wrecking ball to them. And I'm supportive of him when he does the right things. And he has done some great things as a president. But in terms of foreign policy, he's making some very, very bad errors of judgment that ultimately will come back and bite him hard in the future and i think with china we're at a point of no return so i i think time is running out because at some point china will start to implement non-tariff based policies that are going to cause major problems for the us and that's an inevitability because they're basically running out of tariffs they can impose on on us imports because the imbalance in trade between the two is that great so and that is a major problem as well, as we've said. Yep. Paul, thank you so much for joining us and sharing all this information with us. Uh, once again, po- uh, folks, you can go to Paul's website, which is uh, The Serious Report. That's S-I-R-I-U-S, theseriousreport.com. Subscribe and join his membership list and uh, make it happen for yourself. Get and uh, Stay abreast of all the latest global developments. And with that being said, folks, subscribe, like, and share this channel as well. And with that being said, we'll be back next week. And make sure you subscribe and hit that notification bell so you are alerted next week when Paul comes back again on uh, either Tuesday or Monday. Because, you know, folks, it's summertime, so the schedules are going to be in flux. So it's important that you subscribe and hit that notification bell. With that being said, we're over and out.